0: Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Karoy Laurenti. Karoy is an independent Swift developer, as well as the author of Optimizing Collections in Swift, which was recently published by our friends at ObjectiveC.io. Welcome to the show, Koroy.
1: Hi, I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for coming on
1: today. Uh, well, Pleasure is all mine. Uh, what are you
0: up to right now?
1: So it has been a pleasant day in Budapest. The Red Bull Air Race has been going on uh, the entire weekend. So I'm now all uh, airplaned out and ready to go to work uh, tomorrow.
0: So the Red Bull Air Race. So like Red Bull the drink and they yep. do um, is that like like real planes in the yes, air like racing yes, really. over the over the water?
1: Yeah, well, over the Danube uh, in the middle of the city. They had this uh, sports event there uh, with real airplanes, uh, very fancy uh, sports uh, planes as well as uh, historical uh, airplanes. I know I, I only participated in the audience for for half an hour or so, but it, it is always exciting to go there. And well, uh, you know, uh, during these two days you can hear nothing else in the entire city but the noise of the planes, which is kind of uh, exciting, but also uh, can get kind of annoying and uh, unproductive after a while. (laughs) It's all over. Is the air race always there in Budapest? Uh, Uh, It uh, has been for a couple of years. Uh, I don't know anything about it. Uh, It just happens uh, for some reason every year. It's a fun thing uh, to participate and to see. Uh, but if you try to work, uh, that's not, not, not really possible during this weekend. Yeah, But at least the weather was really nice today. Uh, it has been too warm for the entire week, uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit and above. And I really regretted my decision not to install an air conditioner. <laughs> uh, but today it was 70 degrees, so uh, I hope it will uh, be like this for the foreseeable future
0: as well. I've never been to Hungary before. I definitely want to go. I know that there is a uh, at least like a considerable um, Armenian population in uh, Hungary. and the only thing I really know about Hungary is Nadia Komenic and uh-huh. her and the movie Nadia, I think it was just called Nadia huh. and her um, coach B- uh, Bella Karoli, which now I'm realizing <laughs> that is similar to your name so maybe, his his name in English is Karoy Bella, because you were telling me that you guys you you say your name backwards or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we put our four names uh, lost. Uh, my name is Lurente Karoly in Hungarian, not Karoly Lurenti, but you know we we swap it around when we are when we are abroad. I haven't seen the movie, but interestingly enough, Bella Karoly. Uh, that is that is. That can be read either way, because both um, part, um, parts of this name is, uh, are surname or forenames in Hungarian.
0: Ah. So are you familiar with this coach? He's like the famous, um, I think he actually became the U- United States Olympic like female gymnastics coach. Female I think Gymnastic? maybe your guys' name is similar, the, the Karoy name. You I, know, think I think never, it is. I never really heard about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I grew up watching, uh, watching that movie. Huh? No, nah, yeah. No yeah, No it's It's a movie from the 80s. Awesome. Oh, man. Okay, so you are an independent Swift developer in,
1: in Budapest, right?
0: Budapest. That's right,
1: yes. Okay, what does that mean? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so in reality, I'm on something like a sabbatical. I, I quit my job two years ago uh, to work full-time on Swift projects on my own without working for anybody else. And the theory was that I'm going to write a couple of uh, iOS applications just to try my hand on doing the whole package from development to design to, to product marketing to everything and I just got stuck with the coding phase and I loved Swift so much that I just really stopped working on iOS applications and I started working on uh, just cross-platform with interesting little side projects that became my full-time, uh, well, not really a job because nobody pays me to do it but it's it's a way of uh, spending my time and learning about uh, Swift the language and uh, algorithms and data structures that I never got around to implement okay. yet before this time. Wow. So
0: technically you're like unemployed or something. That's really cool that yeah. you <laughs> were able to be in a position to take, you said, two years off to just uh-huh. enjoy life and almost like... You're like a researcher, like a, you know, like a scientist where you, you know, that's what these researchers and scientists do. They like, you know, they don't really have a job. They do their job is what they love. And they research this particular thing and they just spend all day in their lab, like working on this thing that they love to do. And that's like, sounds like what you've been doing.
1: yeah, Yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to to be involved in a couple of successful projects and uh I got enough money in the bank to to last me for quite a while. I mean, not you know retirement money, but but I can manage to live here in Budapest. It's not an expensive city for for a couple of years uh, without any sort of income. And I, you know, Swift two years ago was a really young and immature language. Uh, it wouldn't be responsible, but it wouldn't have been responsible to start working on. Uh, Real life production code uh, in Swift. Uh, so I just jumped on the opportunity to learn Swift in a way where I could do it full time, doing nothing else, uh, eight hours a day, just uh, but uh, doing Swift development, trying the language, see what works, what doesn't, and uh, see what happens. Because, you know, if you really start doing something, you will get at least reasonably good at parts of it and uh, that opens up new opportunities for you to take uh, for me I, i'm just enjoying life trying to study something trying to learn something new every day that is my motto for here and that is my entire motivation of what i'm doing when
0: i re- originally got into all this it was because i wanted to make an app but what happened was i fell in love with programming and the process mm-hmm. of programming mm-hmm. the way my mind and body and and you know everything kind of felt while I was solving these problems inside my head and especially falling in love with Swift. So it's Mm -hmm. actually really encouraging. It's kind of it's almost like it's validating the way I feel or it's giving me permission to to feel okay that I'm not necessarily cranking out a bunch of apps. Um, Like I just some a lot of my time I love just enjoy. I just enjoy like looking at Swift code and like writing Swift code and solving these little little problems.
1: Yes, it is like solving little puzzles all day, every day, and uh, enjoying the heck out of it uh, full time. And you know, I've been doing product development and coding for a reasonably successful product uh, for a long time, and uh, it's just refreshing to to go back to the basics and uh, to rediscover what programming was originally all about for me and. Uh, you know, it's it, it's such a lucky thing that I I can do this now, and uh, you know when when I get back to working for somebody else, I, I think I, the things I learned over these couple of years uh, will be very useful for for my for the rest of my career as well. So this is not wasted time at all.
0: Well, you mentioned something that I really want to get into, which is. What's it all about for you? And mm-hmm. before we get into that, I just want to mention a little bit about how uh, Karoy and I met. I went to DubDub, Dub, uh, as you guys might know, a couple weeks ago. And I was fortunate enough to be at a dog park um, you know, in San Jose, where you also were with a couple dogs. And uh, yeah, uh, I had heard about the Optimizing Swift Collections book through ObjectiveC.io. And um, I think someone introduced me to you, um, and, or maybe I remembered your name. I, I like, oh, I think that name sounds familiar, and we got into talking. And uh, actually, just watched the Objective um, objectivec.io Swift talk um, where you talk about optimizing sorted array um, and like inserting and, and uh, finding elements. So yeah, really wanted to have you on because um, you're you have this like really. Um, you kind of specific, at least public facing specific interest in Swift um, I, and like you're kind of like the person um, in this kind of area. I don't really hear that many other people talking about like I, uh, there's one guy, Wayne Bishop he has like this book called Algorithms or oh, something, yeah. Swift yeah. Algorithms mm-hmm. so I feel like maybe it's just like you two um, who are like, you guys are really focusing in this area so I wanted to have you on mm-hmm. um, yeah so let's, let's talk about that, like what you mentioned like If and when you do go back um, to working, you know, know, as a sort of professionally, I guess, getting paid, you know, (laughs) as a Swift developer, you'll, you know, and through this experience, you kind of rediscovered what it was all about. And maybe you can continue like having that feeling. Um, So what what was that realization? What was it all about or what is it all
1: about? So For me, uh, when I first started programming, the thing I enjoyed the most was that you are creating these these rule systems, these, these little words for you, and you try to inhabit them by writing applications or li- trying to solve problems using the tools that you have just created. And then you discover that some of the tools that you made uh, aren't uh, necessarily the best ones, you replace them with new ones, new designs, and and you keep doing this until you solve your problems in a satisfactory manner. And all all the way through, you are solving these little uh, exciting little puzzles that nobody else will see because you are the only one who is working on that project and you will probably discard uh, the entire thing at the end. Uh, You know, when you are learning something new, every you get you get to learn new stuff uh, at every every corner every every hour is something new something that you' never done before and uh, that is what programming was originally all about for me uh, when I first started learning it uh, I you know i, I I, I didn't even have a computer. I, I started with, with just going into the library and just going through the books one by one and reading every one of the books that they got about computers. And, uh, you know, I learned something new. I, I learned events deeper at every page and that sort of feeling that of discovery, of exploration. Uh, you know, over the years of working professionally, uh that sort of feeling got further and further away. It it got routine, it got, uh, you know, uh, and when you feel like you aren't learning enough uh, stuff uh, in your work, in your daily life, you try to fill that hole in your soul with something else. And for me, I I, I never really... uh, felt like I, I knew everything there is to know about programming. I, I knew that there there are so many things I, I know nothing about or very little about and uh, I I just regretted not being able to do that sort of stuff because it wasn't necessary for my work. So in, in these last two years uh, really, uh, I really I I I left my original goals of building apps almost immediately behind and uh, i just concentrated on learning and uh, trying to do s- stuff that i haven't really done before and uh, uh, th- things that never really occurred to me that uh, that would that would be interesting and uh, uh, because they you know usually uh, the sort of data structure work and algorithmic work that i happened upon uh, uh, during these two years is not specifically very necessary, you don't have to do this when you are building an iOS app because everything you need is already there. The frameworks contain most of the uh, things you need to build up a UI, for example. Uh, You don't need to do advanced data structures to communicate with the server, uh, at least not necessarily. But sometimes there are certain slices in an application where you have to reach down and uh, do these sorts of things but there is GitHub and there is Homebrew there is, there is all these package repositories that you can use uh, to find uh, an implementation for your problem except uh, in Swift uh, Swift is a brand new language, it's still young it's like 3 years old today uh, publicly so there are a lot of places where Swift doesn't have an implementation for something that you sometimes need uh, while other languages uh, have already stable implementations for most of the stuff that and that you ever need to do even the more advanced data structure stuff so it was nice to you know reach down to the original purpose of programming for me and to do the sort of things that i didn't typically get to u- get to do uh, as an application developer as a product developer uh, because they aren't really related to any particular task. They are just interesting little projects that have some some applications uh, in practice, but uh, I didn't really do them to solve any particular problem I had with my own apps. I just do them did them because they they seemed like a fun way to experiment with the language and try new things that maybe never been done before. So there was a lot there, and I want to try to unpack mm-hmm. um,
0: all of that. And so we kind of, you started by talking about this feeling of like always improving and always progressing. And I feel like there's something about humans where we're like that. Like we, we make something and we feel proud and then we want to make it better. Yes. Right. And, and we do that a lot with our with our code. I mean, I was just thinking about that last night, how I was enjoying this little, um, this little, you know, I guess you call it an algorithm or something. It's like a little structure that one of my coworkers and I made. Um, and I enjoyed doing it so much, but it was, it's, if we ever actually use it, it's such a small little piece inside of this program that like, you know, that no one's really going to ever know about. And, and like, so how do we, how do we justify that? Or, I mean, I guess it is what it is. Like it made me feel good. Right. And it was Uh awesome. And I learned something. Right. Yeah. And it's weird thing. Yeah. Uh, Because like you were spending all this time doing it, but what value does it, right? Like a business would be like, what value does it really add or something like that?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh For an application, there might be a couple of, you know, for a drawing app, for example, you have to render uh, the drawing. And there, there might be a couple of uh, places where advanced data structures algorithmic work might be a nice uh, uh, payback, might have a nice payback uh, if you invest in uh, efforts in in implementing those. But for an average app, uh, those opportunities are really rare. Uh, And uh, uh, so it is kind of yeah it's hard to... after a level if you get used to implementing UIs and uh, uh, designing, uh, communication, communicating with the designers uh, to come up with a way, come up with a design that is implementable and uh, usable, uh, if, if you get practice implementing that, uh, after a certain uh, time it will just get boring and if you aren't learning anymore uh, uh, you get restless. Uh, uh, the brain has to be fed with new information, and if you just keep repeating the same sorts of tasks over and over again, uh, you will get really bored and tired of doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's actually one of like the next sort of things I want to unpack um, real quick. Is also it's like I just want to. It's a part of the first thing we just mentioned, which is like always progressing. But it was like. It's kind of a bittersweet thing because, as we said, maybe no one's ever going to see it. But it reminds mm-hmm. me, I'm not sure what it's called, but there's an episode of House of Cards where these, I think, monks come into the White House. And they're, like, making this amazing art with this, like, um, different colored um, dust mm. or, or powder. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, they, they're focusing so hard on it. And they basically, like, have this this powder, like, in these little containers in their hand. And they shake the little container and the dust falls down and they make this beautiful, essentially like a painting. And then it sits there for like a week. And then um, like the, the, on the last day, they take it to like a river and they just dump it all out. Or they like they like swipe it or something and, and, and move it around. And there's like this bittersweet kind of aspect to it where like we put all this energy into something and it's so beautiful, but then we just sort of, I mean... It, Things, you know, some some things we make will just be a, a file that eventually might even get deleted. Um, right. So there's like this bittersweet kind of thing there. Um, but the this, the next part is you talk about filling the void and always learning. And I think this is one of the things that keeps me, that like got me into it maybe in, the, in one of the first places or kept me going was like, there's so much we can do and so much we can learn. And on the one hand, it's overwhelming. But on the other hand, it's exciting because... You know, today I might be learning about augmented reality and ARKit and tomorrow I might be learning about server-side Swift. And there's like so much we can do and so much we can learn. It's really exciting.
1: Right, right, right. So this entire field uh, of science and computing, uh, it's so huge and it's so young at the same time. So what is it, 70, 80 years old, uh, this entire field? And there there are just so many topics to choose from. Uh, You can never get to the end of it. Uh, it, it is like, you know, swimming in an o- ocean. Uh, you, you can choose wherever you go and you will always find something interesting and new to learn. And uh, it's not, not so deep that you cannot contribute. If, if you swim a little bit farther, you might be the farthest person you ever uh, reached that point. And that is just nice.
0: Um, going back to like filling the void, I found myself uh, when things get mundane at work, I end up um, spending so much time like contributing to open source, for instance, and like mm-hmm. I'm excited, like more excited about like contributing. I've been, uh, I uh, was contributing. I'm contributing to Marathon, and also I was like working on the Swift Weekly Brief thing, and like I find myself like spending more time doing that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being more excited about it because I feel like that's where you're actually learning, um, as mm-hmm. opposed to doing like these mundane tasks, like you were saying. When sometimes work can kind of get mundane, so that's sort of how I've been able to like keep. Keep my interest is by contributing to open source. Yeah.
1: yeah. Most recently, I uh, at my uh, last job, what I tried to do is to switch up the uh, field uh, I was working in. So I started as a macOS developer. Uh, I was writing the the macOS client for for the product, and then when I got bored with that, uh, it occurred uh, that uh, it just happened that they were looking for C++ engineers to rewrite their uh, cross platform. Uh, uh, client uh, library, uh, so I jumped right into that and and moved on from macOS UI development to cross platform C development, and that kept me interested for a while, for a year or two, and then when that got got boring, I tried to tried to migrate more towards management, which was a, a hugely interesting change uh, on its own. Uh, you know, when when you are trying to tell things to do. To a computer, it seems so much easier to do that than to try telling things to do to to human beings and <laughs> to convince them to do it the way you like to do. Uh, and then you realize that the way you like to do it is not necessarily the best way because they are the engineers; they they know it better than you do. Yeah. So yeah. So that was really interesting for a while. But you know, I in in my heart, I, I'm a, I'm a programmer. So if I cannot code, I I get really uh, sad and and uh, not bored, but uh, I felt like something was missing. So uh, when I quit, I, I jumped right back into coding and I never looked up ever since then. So let's go back then and
0: find out how you got to where you are now. Um, you know, how did you end up uh, maybe discovering or becoming um, this person who gets sad mm. when they don't code? So <laughs> take us back to the beginning. Um, You know, where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get into programming?
1: Yeah, so I've lived here in Budapest most of my life in Hungary. Uh, uh, The first time I ever saw a computer, I think it was when I was about seven, eight years old. I went to a computer club and just because it sounded interesting, I guess. And I somehow convinced my parents to, to sign me up for it. And uh, I saw these Commodore 64s and Plus 4s, and uh, maybe there was a portable Macintosh at the time. That was in, in late 80s, uh, second half of the, the 80s. Uh, or maybe it was an IBM PC. I don't know. I just remember this really bad uh, LCD display and uh, this huge uh, computer. It was like a, a huge luggage. Uh, you had to lug it around with a handle. But <laughs> it was fascinating, and you could do... Uh, simple basic prob- problems on it, uh, and uh, I got hugely into that. So after the club was over, I I just decided that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life, and uh, you know everything I did since then uh, was was uh, to make that happen.
0: <laughs> what did it mean to you at the time? I mean, you went to this um, like a conference and you saw these computers and you got excited about it and you decided. That you wanted to do this for the rest of your life. What did this mean to you? Uh,
1: it was so exciting uh, to have a, a machine. Uh, you, you know, just the just the community around it. Even back then, with all these children running around and trying to do silly little. Uh, prob, 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 uh, programming tasks like uh, printing your name 100 times on, on the screen just the, just the fact that you can convince a machine to do uh, reasonably complicated stuff and display them on a TV screen that seemed like a fascinating and and a promising uh, field of study to me and uh, I quickly found out that you can actually get jobs doing that and uh, from then on I just decided that this is what I want to do It's kind of hard to remember what exactly was the thing that grabbed me, but it must have been something like that. It it is so. uh, I was hugely into sci-fi back then, even today. So this seemed like the most, uh, the closest I could get to to something uh, in my favorite books and and, uh, and topics. Did you ever get a computer
0: um, at home? Did uh, your parents ever get you one? Or yes, what
1: yes, 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 of course. So after a couple of years of me uh, just going into the library every week and, and, per- and getting the, the computer books there, uh, they they took pity on me and got me a Commodore 64. And uh, that was that was like a dream come to, true. Uh, I, I learned to program in BASIC and maybe a little bit of Pascal, Uh, just by going into the library and reading the books so when I got my first computer, the first thing I did was was just to code up some basic programs on it and uh, when they ran, uh, I mean, (laughs) that was an amazing feeling do you
0: remember what your first program was or like the what what program do you rem, uh, remember like really
1: getting into early oh, on? oh dear uh, i don't remember any of it uh, i know <laughs> that <laughs> it must have been something silly like uh, something that asks your name and th- then says hello uh, okay cool that must have been my first thing uh, you and know with with basic and go to statements and the like but still
0: do you remember um like the, the the people in the community, if at all, around you, that were was there anybody that was also into computers and into
1: programming, or were you sort of on this mission by yourself? So for a while, well, initially in in that computer club, uh, I met a lot of uh, interesting people. Uh, I think uh, the people were as m- much interest. So I was as much interested in the people around the computers as as the computers themselves but then uh, for quite a while I was the only uh, geek who were working with computers in in, in his free time rather than you know going outside and and playing with balls or some such I don't know what other people uh, used to do Uh, yeah I was this bookish uh, uh, person uh, kind of awkward child as well Uh, I was very introvert I was an introvert uh, I never knew what to say when I met somebody new. Uh, some of that is still present, but I think I got over it uh, by now, for, <laughs> for the most part. Oh man, that's great.
0: So ten, uh, did you study uh, computers in high school? Did you study it in college? Did you end up getting like a degree or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so, uh, so I was lucky enough to get good grades, so I could go to any sort of secondary school we had. Uh, I got admitted to a particularly nice gymnasium. Uh, which is what we call the secondary school, the the academic schools in Hungary. And uh, I chose not to go there because I knew that I don't need uh, to be educated on maths and physics and the like because uh, I could just read the book and learn it from there. Uh, What I couldn't do was to learn English uh, because you cannot learn English from a book. You have to practice. uh, uh, There's no way to do that alone. So I went to this rather... Uh, backward school, it was a technical school uh, about, uh, I don't know what was it, uh, they they educated technicians, you know, you could uh, uh, use a soldiering iron and, and the like. And, and Right, different
0: kinds of technicians. Yes, yeah.
1: that's right. But they had a bilingual program, uh, uh-huh. which was really interesting. Uh, so in the first year I studied nothing else but English, uh, which was the only way for me to learn a, a second language, because I am really bad at languages, at least human <laughs> languages. So uh, that was a strategic decision and a really important decision for me to, to not go to uh, a school that kept me busy with, with homework, rather than go to somewhere where uh, I got a lot of free time and they also taught me English uh, To a level. Uh, I I mean, I don't speak perfect English, but usually I can uh, make myself understood uh, by others. And, uh, you know, being a programmer without uh, knowing English is kind of an impossible task. uh, Oh, wow. Or at least it seemed like it to me, because I I read every book in Hungarian about computing, and uh, then I got nowhere else to go because there were no more books to read. So the only way I could uh, continue my own education was by learning English and going into the English section of the library where there were copious amounts of books, very interesting books, but I didn't understand the word of them.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's like a ferocious interest in, in programming, you know, to, to have your interest in one subject lead you to learn another language so you can read more books about that other, sub,
1: you know, that particular subject. That's, that's pretty uh, ferocious, I would say. Yeah, but it, it didn't seem special to me because you know I had to do it for at some point and there there was no way around it and you know learning a new language it's not too difficult if if you get to practice it every day uh, it just seemed difficult for me when when I'm living in Budapest in Hungary uh, everyone everybody speaks Hungarian around me uh, so the only way I could force myself to to really learn a language is is by Strategically college, uh, choosing a school that let me do it.
0: Yeah. So you got accepted to this gymnasium. You decided not to go. Instead, you decided to go to this technician uh, training school and, and, and learn English. What are your friends, your family, your parents, um, the people around you telling you? Um, and what are you telling them,
1: um, during this time when you're making this difficult decision? So for me, I think it was me who, who took it really hard, this decision, because my parents, pa- parents really didn't understand computers at all. Uh, and, uh, it was for me, for, for them, it was, it made more sense for me to get something, some kind of education that I could directly apply uh, for a job. And, uh, so they didn't. So they would have loved me to go to, a, to this gymnasium, but they didn't mind at all that, that I went to this other school instead. And in fact, my brother got admitted to the same gymnasium as well. So they got, you know, sh- children uh, in both places. And I think <laughs> we both turned out just fine.
0: W- was there something in particular you remember um, telling them or you guys realizing together as a family um, as to like you know why you know, it was okay that you turned down the gymnasium. Do you remember anything in particular?
1: Uh, I remember we had discussions about it uh, for quite a while, uh, but I think the 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 ultimate argument was that I wouldn't be able to to learn English uh, at the the uh, other school, the, the gymnasium. You cannot yeah. learn a new language language if you if you only take uh, maybe two hours of practice every week. That's just yeah. no way to to do that. And it was really important to me, and for them, it was also important uh, for, for, uh, well, first of all, for me to be happy about where I go, and second of all, uh, to have a perspective about what sort of job I would uh, be able to take after finishing the school. Uh, It was never my intention to be a technician, Uh, I really didn't like soldiering or anything like that, but... uh, I think I had some really nice teachers uh, for it, and uh, I, ha- I have some sort of hardware uh, viewpoint in, in software as well because I know a little bit about how transistors work, for example. And, and that's not really useful today, but it's 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 just a nice thing, a nice background information in my head. Uh, yeah, it
0: adds to your perspective. Yes. So you go to this technician school, you um, study at least, it sounds like, you know, full time, one year of English. Um, what did you end up, you know, passing through this technician school? Like, what do you end up with at the end of this technician school? And how do you, like, how does this lead to what I'm assuming would be eventually, you know, your first programming job?
1: Mm. Well, first uh, I went went on to, to uh, be admitted to a university, uh, again in Budapest. Uh, that was the university I decided I wanted to go when I was 10 years old. So it was a real success when I uh, actually got how, into it. How old? Uh, yeah, I decided to go into this particle university uh, for this particle uh, uh, study uh, uh, when I was 10 years old. Yeah. Oh, oh! when
0: you were 10, you already wanted to go to this school. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly where I wanted okay. to go. But you, you were not 10 when you... Went to no, well. no 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 no. Oh, okay, I, I was, was nineteen.
1: 19.
0: <laughs> okay okay. Sorry, continue.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. So I, I did that uh, for quite a while. for For the first three years, I really enjoyed studying there. But then the the all the lectures and the 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 courses turned a lot more practical than I wanted, and uh, I just got bored with it. So I never stopped uh, going to the school, but I, uh, the number of credits I, I managed to get every year went a lot—you uh, uh, know—it it sunk <laughs> uh, really low. And uh, I did finish all the courses. Uh, I almost got a master's degree, but I never made, never, never really did finish the the thesis I have to make. Maybe I should do that now. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, if you have the time, why not? Yeah. Well, but <laughs> so what's you, the point by now? I mean
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So wait, explain why that was. Uh, you said as time went on, the number of credits you were earning were going down. Yes. Uh
1: why was that? Uh I just got bored with with the the particular things that they wanted to, to teach me. Uh yeah. What were they trying to teach you? So initially in the first couple of years, it was uh Really exciting stuff that I wouldn't be able to learn on my own, like uh, formal methods of programming, and um, well, that was pretty much it, I think. And
0: so it was like a computer science uh, program. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. So as time went on, um, your interest in what they were teaching you kind of went down. Uh-huh. What were what were you becoming more interested in? What were so, you going towards?
1: Uh, I took on these part-time jobs uh, near the university. Uh, I was a, a system administrator for a while in the network services center. I was a, an operator for an IBM mainframe computer for a while there. Uh, so I, I got you know, halfway into the industry. Not really because all these were part-time university jobs, but still uh, it was so much more exciting than what, what they taught me in the university and uh you know, it it wasn't necessarily about the topics that they wanted to teach me. It was more about the, the timing of it. Uh, it I, I wanted to uh, make the decision of what I'm learning myself instead of being fed to me. And wow. uh, I wanted to get uh, more in-depth in some areas and less in-depth in others. And uh, just getting a job seemed like uh, the nicest way of doing that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like um, at a really early age you found that you enjoyed self-directed study mm-hmm. more than yeah, anything yeah. else.
1: Well, at that stage, I, I've been doing that for, I don't know, eight years at least. And uh, then when I, I'm being forced to to study uh, specific stuff that I'm not necessarily interested in at that time, I, I didn't really take that too well. I managed to, to do fine at the university, uh, I could easily get a degree if I wanted to, but I didn't really want to. <laughs> uh, it was more exciting and more uh, productive for me to to get a job elsewhere. And uh, but but I remained at the university. I got at it. I, I even uh, taught at the university for ten years. And, uh, oh wow! Yeah, it was so so much fun. Uh, I mean, the only way I think you can really learn something is by explaining it to others and. Uh, Teaching is is just fundamentally uh, such a basic thing that a human being should be able to do. Uh, I guess if, yeah. if I ever had a child, uh, I would have the time of my life uh, telling them about everything. Uh, <laughs> but I really enjoyed uh, just teaching uh, university students as well. Uh, so there's a couple of things uh,
0: there. First, I think that there are a lot of people like that who self-study is um, the better way to go for them. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if I could ever have been you know, a programmer and where I am now and enjoying it if I went to school and you know learned it through that way but mm-hmm. uh, and I and I didn't. I did self-study. Thankfully, there's so many amazing resources out there on the internet, so I was able to teach uh, teach myself. Um, and yeah, so I think there are a lot of people out there like that. And going back to what you said about um, if you're able to teach uh, something, uh, it it will increase your ability, you know, your understanding, uh, your you know, your expertise in that. So I totally agree with that. I feel like all the teaching I did at um, at the meetups and continue hmm. to do um, definitely like increases my uh, ability to learn. And and I learn from you know, when you teach, you learn, right? Because people ask different questions that you never thought of.
1: Right. Uh, and yes. so so what? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. And that as a programmer. Uh, being able to code is one thing but you also have to be able to communicate with people uh, I think an average programmer uh, spends uh, maybe 30% of that time coding and that's that's a nice day uh, the rest is, is spent uh, on writing email or being in meet- meetings or just talking to people and if, if you are able to express yourself, explain what you are doing and why you are doing it uh, then you you get to be a better programmer than you if if you are just coding really well,
0: right? And I think what you mean by that is like almost like a better team player, a better collaborator, a better yes. employee yeah. or or teamer. Yeah, I remember I actually just looked at um, the uh, questionnaire that you filled out, and I remember seeing that message that that you know statement that you wrote, and I totally I really like that because uh, as programmers we do spend a lot of time by ourselves with the computer, and the computer it's a very kind of cold. Mm -hmm. You know, relationship, right? I like input and output, but human relationships aren't like that, right? There's so many different forms of communication, um, there's emotion. And so I really like that, like being, um, you know, teaching uh, at least some, you know, try to get out there and teach a little bit. It will, yeah, it will um, make you a better collaborator, a a better
1: communicator. That's really good. And public Um, speaking in particular is a really good practice, especially for an introvert like me, Uh, it, I, it doesn't come naturally to me to, to be in front of an audience and, and tell them about something uh, I had to practice it a lot to to get to uh, even this low st- place where I am right now uh, but you know uh, it is such a critical thing to be able to do and uh, it gets you gets you uh, to places where you wouldn't be able to go otherwise. You meet people. You you you. If you just express yourself better, you 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 can get so much better quality of life as a as a worker, as an employee. Uh, it's remarkable. Yeah.
0: I can hear your dog in the background. Is that your doggy
1: moving around? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's she his name or her, her name? Her name is Floppy. Floppy. Uh, <laughs> She's a beagle, she, so she has these floppy ears and also uh, I think she has the memory capacity of, of an old-school floppy uh, disk. It's about <laughs> one and a half megabytes or so, but she's cute and, and a really nice colleague to have in, yeah. in the house. So
0: um, I totally agree. I, I want to uh, try to do more public speaking. Um, you know, I do my meetups, but I would like to do things on like a bigger scale eventually. Um, who knows, maybe one day someone will invite me to speak at a conference and then I'll finally have like the the real sort of pressure to come up with some awesome conference talk. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is what were you teaching? You said you taught at the university for 10 years. What did you teach? Uh, different subjects, the same subject?
1: Yeah, so I started uh, doing uh, this... Uh uh, practical um, courses uh, these were for 20 students uh, at a time i don't know what it, laboratory uh, is that a thing in in, in yeah like yeah. labs or yeah, like yeah. So, workshops or yes exactly so so i i was uh, doing labs for quite a while on uh, formal methods of programming which means that we were deriving programs from the the problems that we want to solve in a mathematical logical way uh, so that we know that the program that we end up with solved the original problem that we wanted to do and then I progressed uh, to data structures and algorithms for second year students I think I did labs for that for a while and finally I ended up with operating systems uh, for third year and second year students uh, For a number of years. Uh, I don't even remember how many, maybe three years uh, altogether, with a friend. And those were lectures, uh, actually, which was amazing. I mean, uh, being in front of 20 people uh, in a lab is one thing, but being in front of 400 people at a time, that's an entirely different level. And uh, it was so exciting doing that. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, the entire experience. Obviously, I wasn't. I, I don't think I was a really great teacher, but but I, I don't think I was the worst teacher at the <laughs> university. So I, at least I have
0: that. So at some point, you became a Mac developer. Uh, how did that
1: happen? Yeah. So it's around 2003. I got an iPod and I got really into podcasts and and just the UI of it and everything about it. And uh, when uh, the iPhone came out in 2007. I was working for a company that was doing C-sharp development. Uh, so uh, we didn't have Macs or anything like that. But I, I immediately knew that this was going to be a thing. I was a palm developer for a while for 3 smartphones and tungsten um, PDAs uh, for a number of years. So when the iPhone came out, I, I quickly realized that this is going to change everything. And uh, I, I think I got a Mac the month after that maybe a little bit later I I purchased the MacBook and uh, started uh, learning Objective-C almost immediately and I just fell in in love with with the Mac itself Uh, when I finally got an iPhone uh, I started doing programming on it but I think I preferred doing Mac development to iOS development especially in the early days when it was always a pain to set it up and uh, to deploy your app uh, on, your, on your device and to debug it on it. And uh, uh, everything was so much smoother on, on the Mac and the, and the frameworks uh, themselves were much more mature and the full featured. And uh, the UI was uh, kind of settled. So you knew how Mac app uh, should work and sh- how, sh- how it should look. Uh, yeah, so it was just a more pleasant experience for me uh, working on a Mac rather than iOS for a while at least. So were you doing this in your spare time
0: or at some point did you uh, quit working with the C-sharp, um, you know, business, whatever
1: that was yeah, that you yeah, were doing? And- so I think for a year, uh, I, I did it in my spare time at home uh, nights and weekends. But when I left the company, uh, I, I specifically chose another company that let me bring my Mac to work or at least gave me a Mac to work on and to do Mac development for a while. Uh, I also wanted to be an iOS developer, but it seemed somehow I ended up with with a Mac uh, uh, application to work on, and that suited me just fine. Uh, yeah.
0: So, can you share with us some of the uh, like the type of Mac uh, programming, or like what maybe like Mac uh, apps that you've made, and maybe we've mm-hmm. heard of them
1: or used them? Or so for this company, I used uh, I, I used to work on a single project, uh, which was a web conferencing tool called Uh, Join.me. Oh, whoa! You You worked on
0: Join? Sorry? You worked on Join.me? Yes, that's right. Oh, wow, I've used that before. Awesome, awesome. Uh, How did you like it? Uh, I think compared to, I mean, look, web conferencing is terrible, so so my experience of any web conferencing software is like kind of clouded by that, (laughs) but um, it's better than WebEx, that's um, for sure. Yes. And um I always try to like use Google Hangouts with one of my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, you know, here's a link to this Google Hangout. And then he'll be like, okay, okay. And then he'll be like, here, just join my join me. And so it ends up working. Um but I end up having to download something. So then like uh, that yeah. kind of slows the process down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, it works fine. Um, yeah. so I worked on the thing that you download. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, that works well. I honestly think um, that conferencing is like, it still seems like it's broken. I yeah. did a Twitter poll recently and everybody said, I think it was like uh, 33% said that uh, macOS screen sharing is their go-to. Mm. Um, but then like that, I don't even know how you get that set up. Like there's no easy UI. It's like connect to a host name. You know, it's yeah, like, oh, yeah. What does it's that so really mean? Um, and then a bunch of people said they like uh, Zoom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we use Screen Hero too sometimes at work, but right. regardless, I think it's still kind of broken, like
1: yeah yeah yeah, so it was exciting working on it because because it's all broken and horrible <laughs> and, and, and so complicated. So the things that we could make easier, we try to make it easier. Uh, But there are some fundamental things that that are just difficult to do. Uh, We didn't have WebRTC uh, at the time, so there was just no way to broadcast anything from a web browser. So you had to download something. And somebody had to develop that and make it appropriate for the platform. So what we ended up with was that uh, we had about five platforms at the same time. And we supported them all by their a specific frontend that was written specifically for that frontend. And I uh, you know, originally worked on the Mac uh, client. Uh, I think I rewrote the entire thing before I got wow. another Mac development developer uh, to to continue doing that. I don't think they have any. Well, they must have some of my code still there, but uh, I, I think they they are replacing the code base uh, every. Eighteen months or uh, so—it's really moving fast. Uh, Yeah, and then uh, so we had Windows, we had Mac, we had uh, Windows RT, we had Android, we had iOS, uh, we also had a Flash client for for a long while, and but then we got the HTML5 uh, client, uh, capable enough to be replacing uh, most of the clients. And I think you can do a pretty reasonable job of uh, web conferencing. Directly from your browser now, which is which is uh, at the same time it 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 is amazing, but also uh, you know uh, you are losing some of the uh, fine details that we uh, invested in the the uh, UI uh, native uh, UI in the original apps.
0: Man, that's so funny! What a funny coincidence! That's I mean, I just used it the other day, actually. Awesome! So that's <laughs> so funny. Uh, when did you? Like did you work at Join me for a really long time and then because like you said two years ago you sort of you're, you started this break. like uh-huh. were you working at Join me when you um, oh, yes when you yes, started yes. this break?
1: So all together, I think I've worked on it for a little more than four years. Oh wow. And uh, yeah, I, I went from UI engineer to, to cross-platform engineer to some sort of management person. And uh, I enjoyed doing it all, all through. Uh, but, you know, what else can I do there? <laughs> the question is, if, if you are already a manager and you aren't coding anything, where, where is the next step for you? Uh, right. And I could still do a little bit of coding, but I, I felt like the next reasonable step to take for me, if I wanted to remain at the company, was to do a full-time management job. And I just didn't feel like that was the right choice for me. Uh, I spent, I don't know, 25 years trying to be a better programmer and then suddenly uh, I should just quit coding, uh, it doesn't felt right. Even though uh, I enjoyed doing it, uh, I wasn't really good at it, I don't think, I don't know. I had more worse managers than uh, probably I was, but uh, I had better as well. So. I had all this uh, perspective in front of me so, because I knew I, I had so much to learn about this sort of stuff to get good at it, but it just didn't feel like the right direction for me to take. And uh, Swift came out at just about the same time uh, and uh, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to, to work in Swift uh, in, in my job. Not just because Swift was so young and immature, but also because I'm turning into a full-time manager, so I wouldn't have time to code anyway. So the only way uh, for me to to really get uh, familiar with the language was to quit and uh, do it on my own for a while. Wow.
0: Okay. So because I was going to ask you like, why you could have went anywhere, um, maybe let's say you were kind of bored with worth working where you were at you could go anywhere yeah but um, but you realized like Swift was so young so n- there was no place really hiring Swift developers maybe right uh,
1: I, th- I think there were and LogMe in itself uh, the company I uh, worked for uh, was using Swift for for these little side projects not production code but maybe unit testing and uh, build tools and the like But to be a really a full-time developer in Swift, uh, I think it would have been irresponsible to do it in a real project at that time.
0: I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, it wasn't production ready.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And also it would be sort of like a, I don't know if this means anything to you, but like a demotion, right? Because you were like this manager and then to go and be a Swift developer... It's like you're kind of going backwards
1: in a way. But it wouldn't have felt like that. Uh, I mean, what's what sort of? I, I'm not doing the uh, things I do because of some sort of title I, I okay. get in my phone directory. That, that nice. Is, that is pretty much irrelevant. Uh, I I don't think anybody ever. I mean, the sort of people who look at titles. Uh, I I don't think those are the sort of people I like to work with the best. Uh, uh, it, it is always um, better if you work in an environment where. Anybody can contribute to to a project, and uh, uh, people don't look at your. If you are a junior engineer, you could do the same sort of job as a as a principal engineer. It, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, somebody has to solve the problems, and they, if the junior engineer uh, comes up with the solution, then that's fine. That's even better. So you're this uh, successful
0: manager, uh, you know, or you know, you're you're at this company for four years you're not really, you know, you want to code more, Swift comes out, you want to code Swift. Like, how do you make the decision? Did you make it really quickly?
1: Oh no. and, Or oh,
0: was no. it, Was it? how difficult was it? And like, how did you, you know, how'd
1: you do that? So, uh, Swift was announced in DC in 2014, and I was in the audience when it happened. And that was an exciting day for me. I read the uh, initial version of the Swift programming language, the book, and uh, I fall in love with it. I, I fell in love with it almost immediately. Uh, I knew that I wanted to do more uh, programming anyway, and Swift seemed like the, n- the nicest uh, place to uh, do next. Uh, but uh, to decide to just quit and and do it on your own—that is a huge decision. And uh, <laughs> I, I just so I finally left the company a year after that, just after WWDC 2015. But it was a struggle. Uh, I really had to find my way. This this decision of, of going further into management or, or to do programming, uh, that's a hard decision to take. Obviously, being a higher level manager or a, a full-time manager may, may probably pay better than doing uh, open source GitHub packages on your own at home. <laughs> but... Would I have been... I mean, I don't know if I would be as happy uh, doing that sort of thing as as happy uh, uh, I am today doing uh, these little puzzles. Yeah,
0: wow. Okay, so I want to get into Swift specifically and uh, the book that you recently published and all of that. Uh, But before we do, I just want to take a quick break for a couple of announcements. And the first announcement is uh, is that you might have noticed? Um, I uh, authored—I uh, I, kind of feel like co-authored, but uh, I was the author on the Swift Weekly Brief issue 76 that was just released on, uh, you know, last week. Um, and yeah, so I just wanted to say that. And so, if you haven't seen the issue, definitely go check it out. But what I really wanted to say is like the experience of being a, an author of the Swift Weekly Brief. It was super fun. I'm definitely going to do it again. Uh, Jesse, he's like the main, um, you know, person who does the the brief, but there's a whole community of people who help out with it. And that was really, really awesome. Uh, And the way he has the brief set up, it's amazing, like using uh, the static site generation with Jekyll and like all this automation with um, like these scripts, for instance, to like generate a new um, issue using this template, and then you kind of fill in all the blanks. And everybody comments into um, this like GitHub issue. So if you notice something in Swift open source, you leave a comment on the actual GitHub issue, um, which makes it really easy for the author to then just you know fill in the blanks on on the um, the real actual draft. And then um, you know eventually, uh, and you, you you push a PR with your draft and like this thing called a prose uh, prose lint um, using I think it's run by Danger. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll link to all this stuff. It runs on, like, checks the pros. So there'll be comments like, oh, this sentence is too corporate. Delete, you know, this word. Or you're using the word really too much or something like that. And uh, so that that's really awesome. And then eventually you um, move the, the issue to from the drafts folder to the posts folder. And then you, you know, push a PR, which eventually gets merged to master, which, like, then automates the actual publishing of the issue and sending out the mailing list and sending out a tweet and it's just really really cool to me it's like the best of like programming and the best of open source so if you are wanting to get involved in this amazing community and you're not sure how it's a really really easy and great way uh, to get involved one of the easiest ways would be to just um, follow uh, the issues so when a new issue gets github issue gets posted um, just follow Swift Open Source. If you see something interesting, um, just post um, a comment. Um, yeah, but if you guys have any questions, reach out to me, and I'll be happy to answer them. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to um, Jesse, Greg Heo, Brian Gessiak, um Baz Bro Brocek, I think. Or I, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, who else? Uh, I feel bad if I'm forgetting somebody. Um, but, yeah, a bunch of people helped out, and thank you guys so much for, for welcoming, welcoming me into that part of the community and uh, allowing me to contribute in that way super super fun I had a blast and I hope you enjoyed the issue um, next is I have a new podcast idea I uh, reach out to people on my Slack team there's a few people that are interested but if you're listening and you're out there and you've always wanted to make a podcast but you just never had an idea I have a, an idea I wish I had the time to do it I think it really deserves to exist maybe you could do it maybe you could be the host I'm willing to help you I'll teach you everything I know. I'll support you, but you will be the lead and you will be the host. Uh, so, super cool idea. Reach out to me if you're interested, uh, and I'll tell you all the details. Uh, next is I have a newsletter idea that's kind of related to the podcast. So if you want to uh, start your own newsletter, um, reach out to me. And um, all the same things I just said about the podcast um, you know, relate to this uh, newsletter. So reach out to me. Uh, and lastly, I am traveling to Armenia. I leave... Uh, by the time you hear this, I'll already be like on the plane almost there. I leave on Monday and I'll be there for uh, pretty much like three weeks. I'm teaching um, part-time um, from uh, July 14th, I think, or July 10th to July 21st. I'm teaching SWIFT uh, three hours a day every every morning um, as a part of the TUMO Center. Uh, I'm leading a workshop for the TUMO Center. And yeah, I'm going to be teaching SWIFT. So I just want to let you guys know I'm most likely going to continue um, episodes um, assuming my recording situation is decent enough and the internet's decent enough, so most likely, um, just keep looking out for episodes. But if for whatever reason I don't put out an episode, it's because I'm traveling in Armenia, and uh, things will be back to the regularly scheduled, uh, you know, program towards the end of July. Um, yeah. So wish me luck out there, and uh, I'll be posting, you know, photos and stuff somewhere. Um, I haven't figured that out yet, but uh, yeah. Uh, just wish me luck, I guess. I just wanted to tell you that. Okay, so that is all. Do, uh, uh, Kuroi, do you have anything to say about any of those
1: announcements? Uh, I love the, the Swift Weekly Brief. I, I didn't realize you wrote it. I just read it this morning. Awesome.
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Okay, cool. So let's get back into it. Uh, you said that you were at DubDub Dub when uh, Swift was announced. You immediately read the book. You fell in love. Um, a year later, you eventually took the plunge um, of uh, you know quitting your job and um, dedicating yourself uh, full time to sort of the exploration and study. Mm-hmm. I think of, of Swift. Can you take us to that that moment? Take us back to that time. What are you up? What are you doing? What's going through your
1: head? So uh, it was so. Uh Uh, It it felt like uh, such a freeing thing. Uh, I immediately knew after I left the company, uh, my last day, uh, I said goodbye to everybody. I immediately knew that this was the right decision. Uh, I went home and and just started typing. And it felt so great to be able to do that with no distractions, no meetings, no management stuff, no emails even uh, for a while. And it was so... uh, unrestricted joy that i felt uh, for for those couple of months and i still feel it uh, uh, quite a reasonable amount uh, has uh, is is still there and uh, you know i I started working on some ios projects Uh, i did make an app uh, to the app store Uh, i don't uh, suggest you search for it (laughs) it is a really elaborate do you
0: know what biorhythms are Bio-rhythms. I'm assuming it has something to do with rhythms related to yeah, biology.
1: Yeah, it's like horoscopes, but even dumber. Oh, horoscopes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So the entire app is about calculating the value of three sine waves. Yeah, It's it's the the most content-free thing imaginable. But I, I did a really elaborate implementation of it with, uh, what was it? Oh yeah with SynKit and uh, i had a watch uh, os uh, application uh, as well and i i had a blast with, with just all these 3d interfaces and, and the like I, I got hugely into that and uh, i so the reason i chose that topic was that it has nothing to do with any of my interest and i just wanted to see if i am able to make an app for for a topic that i have absolutely no reason to be interested about and it seems like I am able to do that. I had <laughs> uh, had fun doing it, uh, but I didn't keep doing that <laughs> sort of stuff after after I, I, I published that app. I think it's still on the App Store. I just uh, made it free. free What's free it called? T- it's Biorhythm, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely <laughs> going to look at that.
0: So you said that you sort of just started getting into Swift um, almost with, no agenda. You were very free. Um, that's really exciting, but at the same time, can be con- um, kind of confusing or almost like rudderless. Like, where do you mm-hmm. go? So, how did you sort of direct your expor- exploration of Swift so that you, you know, you actually were guided and learned something and, and were moving forward?
1: Right, right. So, because I set out to do iOS apps, I had have a, a page in my notes app uh, with with uh, IDs for uh, applications and I started working on maybe three or four of them at the same time Uh, and it never felt like I was uh, lacking a thing to do next there was always something to work on Uh, maybe the design for this uh, time tracking app I was planning to make available maybe uh, some marketing copy I I was doing for for the Biorhythm silly thing Uh, or just coding, there was so much coding that I had to do, get done and uh, I, I was never really doing any uh, professional iOS development and I got uh, kind of uh, distant uh, from iOS for quite a while I think the last time before that uh, that I was doing any sort of serious iOS development was Uh, around the time the iPad came out. And uh, you know, in five years uh, iOS changed a lot and improved in many ways. So it was interesting to get back into the game and uh, get familiar with the new APIs and the new capabilities of of UIKit. And uh, yeah, so I was doing that for a while, but I kept noticing that uh, a lot of things are missing from Swift uh, that uh, are normally there in uh, in a, a more mature programming language. And I kept running into little technical difficulties where I couldn't find any uh, package on GitHub that already implemented the thing I wanted to do. So I had to make it myself. And uh, I found that uh, making these little open source packages and publishing them and making releases of them and, and just trying to make them uh, acceptable as, as, as for, for somebody else to download and use, that that is uh, i found it much more enjoyable than doing uh, the actual work on any of the applications Uh, so i think i started with a big integer package uh, sometime christmas time 2015 i think Uh, that was the first first thing and it was completely uh, unrelated to any any of the projects i was working on it was uh, just an implementation of big integers, uh, arbitrary pe- precision integer numbers uh, yeah. in Swift. And uh, I couldn't find any implementation of it uh, in uh, on GitHub or anywhere else. And uh, that just seemed like an interesting thing to get into. Uh, because, you know, it, it, it is rare that you have to use that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, it, it gets used in, in RSA... Uh, cryptography and there there are some applications out there that use it but it's, it doesn't usually come up in everyday programming and it seemed like a nice challenge to do it in a way that is uh, usable in a production environment as well uh, the API uh, I had a real, I had a blast in uh, designing and, and and trying out the API's and I really enjoyed unit testing it which was weird <laughs> hmm. Uh, but it's such a specific and narrow topic that uh, it is really easy to wrap your head around it you know what A plus B should be, it is easy to write tests for it and uh, it seemed uh, reasonably easy to, write, uh, to, to achieve 100% coverage uh, which I still try to do uh, in every one of my projects that I publish
0: so I'm not familiar with this concept, big integers. Can you uh-huh. explain it? I'm, I'm looking at the um, repository right now. Arbitrary precision arithmetic in Pure Swift. So just kind of give us a quick explanation if you can. Uh, I understand you said it's useful in cryptography and RSA, uh-huh. um, but like, what? Why is this?
1: So what, you know, what is it? Every pro- programming language has this concept of an integer number. Uh, typically they have several variants of it, uh, of various bit widths and, uh, uh, you know, maybe 32 bit wide, maybe 64 bit wide but all of them share this uh, limitation that they can only represent a certain subset of the integer numbers really huge numbers, uh, uh, they have trouble uh, representing Uh, so, for example, if you have an 8 byte integer like you you do on on most 64 bit machines Uh, The biggest number that you can represent is 64 bits wide, uh, 2 to the power 64 minus 1, maybe. And if you want to work with larger numbers than that, uh, you have to do something uh, to extend uh, the range that you can represent. And the way you do that is by using these uh, smaller integers, limited integers, as digits in a much larger number.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: But then you wow. have to implement all, all the algorithms for addition, multiplication, division, uh, square roots uh, uh, and everything else uh, from scratch, uh, from uh, by just using the operations that you have on, on, the, on your digits, which are themselves uh, integers.
0: Is this something that Swift uh, should or will need um, eventually? It should have if it's going to be a complete language?
1: So I I don't think you necessarily have to have it uh, if you want to do uh, a whole new programming language. But as it happens, uh, most languages have uh, an implementation for this sort of thing. Even uh, there is this class in Coco called uh, NSDecimal, I think, uh, that implements decimal numbers. And uh, I think that is arbitrary precision. I never used it. I, I, I didn't even look at the API that it has. Uh, because it was written for Objective-C, not Swift. Uh, But yeah, so normally languages do have uh, this uh, utility. It doesn't get used as much as it could have, because... Uh, It is kind of rare to uh, have to work, you you don't have to work with uh, these large uh, numbers very often. Uh, I mean, in everyday life you don't even think about uh, more than maybe a couple of billion items. Uh, You you just can't handle those sort of scales. So for very special specific problems they are useful uh, and so programming languages and uh, especially the libraries that they come with usually contain an implementation for it as it happens in Swift 4 we got these uh, really awesome new integer protocols and uh, some, one of the um, uh, goals of that is uh, was to support big integer implementations directly uh, from uh, the standard library so, what were some of the other things that you noticed
0: that uh, Swift was missing, and kind of continued your exploration? Uh-huh.
1: Well, uh, there are all sorts of data structures that uh, you can you can really get used to if if you uh, have some sort of background in another programming language like Java or C sharp. Their standard libraries are full of these uh, little. Uh, collection types and uh, data structure uh, implementations that uh, are really missing from the standard library today because it's so small and uh, it's concentrating on the most basic and most important stuff like arrays and dictionaries and uh, sets and the like. Uh, So for example uh, Swift doesn't have a double-ended queue type uh, where it's efficient to put new elements it's it's like an array where you can extend it with new elements uh, on the front and the back or you can take elements from both uh, directions and uh, it handles both cases really efficiently Uh, Swift arrays can do that but only uh, uh, do it efficiently uh, from the end Uh, you can append new elements uh, to them but you cannot put new elements in front Uh, at least not at the same performance as as you can at the end.
0: Like the standard library doesn't have a prepend method. There's just the append
1: method, right? You can insert at the beginning. Yes, you can insert at the beginning, but it will be more uh, uh, expensive than uh, appending stuff to the end of the array. Wow. So that is just uh, a basic data structure that comes uh, up quite often. You need something like that. And uh, it was interesting to implement it in a way that uh, has the same behavior as a Swift array, but uh, it, it supports uh, the extra operations, uh, the expected performance as well. And I'm also looking at uh, B-tree. Is that mm-hmm. another? What, what's what's that? So uh, normally, one of the one of these less frequently used but kind of basic data structures are uh, sorted collections where. Uh, which are collections like an array, like a dictionary, but uh, those that so- sort their elements and, and store their elements in a particular order that you can set when you create these dictionaries uh, and arrays.
0: So, like I create an array, I give it, you know, a bunch of elements. Maybe they're sorted, maybe they're not, and the the array will just keep them in that sequence um, that I uh, give it. On, you know, when I initialize it. Like a you know an array of integers with uh, one two three and four and it just so happens that it's sorted because I put them in there that mm-hmm. way but what you're saying is I could create a sorted array where I can give it a one two three you know four seven you know I don't know one 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 but when I give it that sequence it will internally make sure it's sorted in a particular way that's right on, yes. like on a knit yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And for a dictionary, uh, you could use the same sort of thing. Uh, a standard Swift dictionary uh, doesn't uh, promise any particular order in its elements. So if you iterate over them, uh, you get them in some sort of shuffled, random-looking order. Uh, but you could create a variant of dictionary where it always gives your elements back in in order of increasing key, uh, for example, and. Uh, else can you do? You could do the same sort of thing with a set, Uh, a swift set isn't sorted, Uh, so uh, once again if you enumerate uh, or iterate over the elements uh, stored inside there is no promise of uh, on how in what order you will get these elements back, Uh, while in a sorted set if you iterate over the elements you you will always get them in a particular order, uh, in increasing order in some sort of uh, comparison operator. So why is it
0: that uh, it sounds like maybe Swift is, I mean, it's still new, right? And so it sounds like maybe it's still kind of an incomplete language. um, Although, you know, maybe not uh, drastically so, or, or, you know, Um, why are these things not in the standard library yet? Uh,
1: So for Swift, uh, the standard library is in a very special place because it, it, you can use it without importing anything. Right. And uh, Whenever you ship a Swift application, I think the entire standard library ships inside your app. So if the standard library would gain hundreds and hundreds of interesting new data structures, all of those uh, would probably be shipped in any every single Swift application that we have today. Some of these uh, would be eliminated or could be eliminated by the compiler, but uh, it's best if, if we keep the Swift standard library small for now until we can solve the problems that prevent us from shipping the standard library separately from our right. applications.
0: Right, so one day the Swift standard library will just sort of be embedded in the iPhone or be embedded in the Mac, mm. I, I guess, and you won't have to ship it with each app that you, you know, yeah, build, yeah. compile, and, and yeah. so and maybe
1: Foundation is already like that, uh, and has been for quite a while, for decades now. Uh, you know, uh, Apple can upgrade Foundation, add new features to it without uh, you having to recompile your apps uh, uh, to, to pick those up.
0: Right, and so that is something that you guys might hear, uh, which I believe is called like source compatible or ABI stability, mm-hmm. correct?
1: So it's not about source compatibility. Uh, it's more about uh, what happens once you have already compiled your code. And uh, the, the, it's all about the application binary interface, which means that once you have uh, compiled your code, you get this object code or maybe the executable itself. And what this ABI stability uh, promises is that uh, the even if the standard library is not inside your app, it's shipped separately in, as part of the OS and evolves separately from it. Uh, later versions of, of the Swift standard library would be uh, the, the linker that uh, that loads your. Uh, Uh, executable your application into the memory and results also the references inside of it would be able to uh, link uh, the, the framework the standard library and your application code together in such a way that it keeps working even though it's not the same standard library anymore. Interesting. If that makes sense.
0: So do do you feel that you know Swift is like at a disadvantage right now, like uh, it's, it's sort of an incomplete language, you can't really use it for everything? Or
1: is it, I mean, are these just sort of nice to haves? Well, you know, uh, as once, uh, I, I mean, if you want to do something quickly, uh, it is uh, kind of a chore to, to have to search on GitHub to find some sort of solutions to, to the issues that you're running into. But at the same time, having a small standard library is I think working for an advantage uh, for Swift today because it keeps the language nimble Uh, it is easier to add uh, or or to evolve it to change things without breaking too many things and redesigning too many things in the standard library itself so as long as the standard library is as minimal as it is today uh, it is easier to evolve the language uh, to explore new ideas and new opportunities in language design and I think that that works out uh, to the advantage of Swift as long as it keeps being nimble and as long as it evolves fast uh, there's a good chance that uh, before the language matures, we end up with something that is uh, much much better than we would have if we would stop developing or changing stuff uh, after a couple of years um, at some
0: point does Swift need to have these features and do you do you envision that it will eventually
1: at some point? Not necessarily. It, it, it's a decision of what the uh, language uh, community will decide. Uh, I mean, we could keep the Swift standard library as minimal as possible and use the Swift package manager to get all the extra functionality. There is no problem with that. Uh, although I feel like uh, the trend in in programming languages is to to have the batteries included so people expect uh, programming languages like Python and Ruby and every and uh, pretty much everything else uh, uh, to to come with uh, predefined ways of doing standard ways of doing networking standard ways of doing uh, multi-threaded programming standard ways of accessing the file system and and so on and so on and some of these are provided by the foundation framework already but I feel like. Uh, We could improve that, and and maybe that is the way forward, not to expand the the standard library itself, but to add on and bolt on additional uh, projects, uh, additional modules uh, uh, to it that come uh, built into the language. So if you download the toolchain, they are already there, but you do have to import them to to start using them in your code. And that's fine, too. uh,
0: As you said, um, it... In a way, it might, uh, you know, it'll be up to the community, at least in part, uh, whether or not these types of, you know, data structures get included in the future. Have you uh, been following um, the discussions on Swift Evolution, or have you had conversations with people, or noticed any uh, conversations where people are talking about this and, and deciding and discussing?
1: What, yeah, what are people's uh, outlooks. I'm always lurking on on Swift Evolution. I, I try to keep the time I spend reading the messages. Uh, uh, into uh, a certain limit uh, I think it's uh, it's an afternoon every week that I, I browse through the discussions I sometimes write but not really and just I think I wrote maybe five messages altogether in these last two years uh, what I feel like uh, I, I don't remember any particular discussion uh, where people discussed uh, expanding the standard library it's just the I, I feel like uh until the ABI is done, it is clearly not uh, in anyone's uh, best interest to expand the size of the standard library. Uh, but after it is done, uh, that is a decision that somebody has to make. Uh, are we going to put a um, hundred new uh, things into the standard library directly, or are we going to use the Swift Package Manager uh, to select the best packages implementing some some of the stuff? Uh, uh, and uh, use them in that way uh, I mean, uh, both approaches have benefits and drawbacks And uh, uh, but I think the, the value of standardizing on a particular implementation and a particular API for doing specific things is really, really important uh, to, just to achieve a level of maturity and uh, universality uh, to the language
0: so um, until the possible day that um, these different types of data structures get included into the Swift Standard Library, people that want to, uh, you know, learn about them, experiment with them, um, they can, you know, go to your GitHub and check out the different uh, repos you have, um, and they can read about it with your, uh, your book that you just uh, released, um, mm-hmm. Optimizing Collections. Um, op- let's see. Optimizing Collections, uh, I think it's just called Optimizing Collections, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, people can read about this book. Um, you published it um, in in partnership, it sounds like, with um, Objective-C.io, guys behind Swift Talk. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us about this book? Um, how did it end up becoming a book? Um, and,
1: yeah, just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so we talked about uh, solving all these puzzles, uh, which nobody uh, would ever know about uh, when you when you code, and it felt like to me that some of the puzzles I solved uh, while Im- implementing b 3 uh, would be interesting to show other people as well. And uh, so that is why I, I, I gave a talk uh, this January on Dot Swift in Paris, France, uh, about uh, B-trees and uh, all the benchmarking I I did uh, to make sure, and uh, and all the quests I did to make make a a fast enough sorted uh, set, data structure, which was really well received, but it was only 18 minutes long, and it felt like I I maybe touched on 5% of the the, uh, topic in my head, and, and the rest would be interesting to other people as well. So I started writing... Uh, just a read me update uh, to the B3 repository Uh, so I I sat down one morning and when I looked up uh, that evening uh, I wrote 60 pages uh, explaining stuff uh, about uh, all sorts of interesting aspects of writing data structures or implementing data structures in Swift and then I realized I I have the beginnings of of a book there and maybe I I could uh, expand it to something that uh, uh, would, uh, be, would uh, that people would actually read and and like. Um, so I did that. Um, Is this your first book? Uh, I I I wrote a couple of chapters, I think, or did I? I, I don't even remember. So I, I I used to work in publishing in a really uh, roundabout way. I I did LaTeX. Uh, uh, oh, LaTeX. Oh, yeah, 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 a lot uh, of typesetting for a couple of manuals and uh, textbooks in the, at the university. I think I wrote uh, actual text as well. I don't, I can't really remember. That's weird. Yeah, I, I must have. I, it would, have, would be weird to just do the, the latex stuff. So, and my family uh, itself was uh, in publishing for generations. So I have a background in, in typography and typesetting. Uh, oh, Wow. So, and I really enjoy doing this sort of stuff. So when I started uh, writing this book, uh, I immediately fall, fall into this hole of, of ty- making the typesetting really nice. And uh, <laughs> obviously I, I used Latex to do the, 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 to do the, the, the PDF uh, work for it. And I got back into Latex. That, that was great. Uh, and I also wrote a little Swift uh, program to take the markdown and to split it up into playground format and, and to evaluate, to compile the code in, in the book to make sure it works and to what? make sure that I benchmark the exact same code that is in the book. Uh, so, Which repository is that? Oh, it's private. Uh, but oh. the code itself uh, you can get from, uh, there's a link on the books page on Objective CIO. But the, the little Swift thing that I've wrote, it's not public, not because it's so uh, important or secret, but just because I wrote it in an afternoon or two and... Uh, it's not presentable yet. It's not presentable at all. <laughs> uh, and it's also just a command line little tool. Uh, I use some uh, other tool to to typeset the actual book to, uh, to do the HTML conversion and the like, so I just preprocess the markdown uh, bits a little bit to make it work.
0: Okay. Th- So you just happen to be talking about some stuff that I'm really interested in um, because I recently converted my resume to Markdown. Uh Um, You can check it out. It's on my GitHub. And um, then, you know, I wanted to convert the Markdown to a PDF and then the Markdown to HTML. So I heard about um, Pandoc and LaTeX. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, there's another one that has a similar, like, LaTeX name. Oh, Context? Contech, I guess. Um, so I'm really kind of just kind of geeking out right now. Can you describe real quick, like, what did you, what's the actual like text files? What are those written in? And then in order to, like, how does it work to convert it into this book mm-hmm. that we get to download? Uh,
1: so all my sources are in Markdown. Uh, okay. I, I just use the standard Markdown syntax. With one exception, I had to somehow solve the problem of uh, some of the text in in the book changes depending on the format you know, uh, maybe the parts of the introduction that describes that okay, this is the PDF version, but there are other versions available. And uh, maybe some of the code was uh, different based on whether or not I compile for playgrounds or, or some sort of printed static uh, variant. Uh, so in order to do that, I had to come up with some sort of syntax for conditional uh, inclusion inside. Like macros
0: Playground. almost. Kinda. Mm, yes, yeah. yes,
1: yeah. So that is basically what the Swift uh, little... Uh, Common line tool I've wrote uh, is for. It preprocesses my markdown uh, to to feed it to Pandoc and customizes it based on uh, the intended target.
0: Wow. Okay. I'm definitely going to be picking your brain uh, after this episode to find out how you, um, you know, use Pandoc because I did it and it worked to create the PDF, but then when I um, went to create the HTML, like it didn't it looked fine, but there was like one little thing where there was yeah, like a hiccup. There is and always so,
1: a one little
0: thing that, that yeah, you have like, to solve. And what I want is just like how you said, a little script where I can, like, let's say I update my cover letter, I update my resume. I want to just say, okay, regenerate. And like it'll regenerate, you know, the the PDF it'll and regenerate the HTML, etc. Man, that's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So let's get back to um, the book then. Uh, I'm looking here on objective um website, and it, they're saying, um, you know, what's in this book? Swift collections, performance, copy-on-write, wrapping built-in data types, red-black trees, and B-trees. Um, so it sounds like a lot of stuff. Can you just explain, um, you know, w- w- like who this book is for and, and why, you know, someone might want to buy it and read it?
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, if... So- at first glance this book is for people who want to implement their own uh, swift collections but that's not a huge audience i don't think uh, you sometimes have to do it uh, in, in normal application development uh, just to implement the apis but this sort of uh, uh, performance uh, problems usually don't occur uh, in uh, in um, in normal application development however if you know how to write performant code in swift and if you know how the uh, standard library implements copy on write and how the uh, array implementation might work internally uh, that makes you a better swift programmer because you can then use this sort of knowledge uh, for the two percent of the code in your app that needs to run really fast and if you know how to do this, how to measure your performance, how, how to uh, actually how how the standard library is written, so that it it runs as fast, uh, then you can do that two percent much easier than you would otherwise uh, be able to do. So yeah, so if you want to do fast sorted set implementation, this book is for you. But if you are just curious about how performant code. Uh, can get written in Swift and how to do performance performance analysis in Swift, then uh, this book is also uh, for you.
0: So, and I'm, uh, I'm noticing like this graph and I actually just watched the like Swift talk episode um, on the sorted array uh, where you created Adabench. Right. And um, Bench is a micro benchmarking app for Swift uh, with nice log-log plots. Uh, can you talk about, you know, what AdaBench is, how it fits into this book and uh, like why you created it and, and all uh, that?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, c- when you measure the performance of a collection, uh, you know, a collection is uh, a data structure that just stores a bunch of items uh, uh, and uh, you can use it to retrieve a specific item that you are interested in. And uh, the the thing about collections is that their performance uh, usually depends on the size of the collection and uh, you want to be able to somehow measure the behavior of your uh, collection implementation across the entire range of possible sizes and uh, I think the best way of doing that is to well measure uh, at every size you might possibly use this collection for and then somehow depict the results on some sort of chart And as it happens, a logarithmic scale uh, for both the time and the size axis is probably the best way to visualize the results, because uh, on a log scale, uh, every single uh, order of magnitude is represented by the same area. And uh, that makes uh, it easy to see the behavior of your algorithm at low sizes as well as uh, high sizes so, so it depicts uh, you, the time it takes to do a certain operation in, in this collection uh, from uh, size 2 to size 2 billion uh, it, 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 in a really uh, attractive and uh, vis- uh, really nice visual way Uh, So you can read off the the entire behavior of your algorithm by just glancing at this chart, and you immediately knew, immediately know, uh, how your uh, is your algorithm fast? What sort of how it behaves when you increase the uh, size of the collection is the uh, expected uh, slowdown uh, matches the actual slowdown. So you can do a lot of things with these uh, benchmarking charts once you get used to the weird logarithmic scale on both axes.
0: And so you created Adabench. It's a Mac app. You you wrote this. Um, there was nothing like this for for what you wanted to do?
1: Uh, not for Swift. Uh, I think there are a lot of micro benchmarking apps uh, developed for other languages, but I I never seen one that that actually does the data collection, the the m- management of running the benchmarks, and the actual display of the charts themselves. I used to do this sort of thing in Excel for a while with pivot charts, is the pivot tables, uh, and it was always painful, and the end result was was so horrible. Uh, I don't know who designs the charts for Excel but they could do a better job I think. But, uh, <laughs> and it um, just seemed easier to use Core Graphics to to render these charts than to try to explain uh, how to do a good job uh, to Excel, uh, which was weird, but it turned out wow. to be true. I mean, you
0: you you decided to, you know, take this time off to explore Swift and you just really got into it. I mean, it's amazing like you ended up getting into this particular you know subset of topics and you ended up writing this book and you wrote a Mac app to like support your study. I mean, it's just so, it's so interesting. Um, XCTest has like a function, like a measure function. I mm. haven't used it yet. Is that not the same thing as like your measure function?
1: So that measures uh, the, the performance for a specific uh, instance. Uh, you can use it to measure the performance uh, of your collection insertion method at size, let's say, 5,000, uh, but then you also have to measure it for size 5, 50, oh, 500. So okay. you're, it's
0: like you're doing property assertion at the same time. Like you're, 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 you're measure, your measure, your function measure will create a bunch of different collections, you know, at different yeah. sizes. Yes. Ah, yes. I see. That's awesome.
1: And it repeats the measurement. Uh, It is supposed to do some sort of statistical analysis, but because there are just so many sizes, I I usually just uh, render the minimum value that I measure, which is not the best, but, you know, uh, even so, it it takes about two days for me to rerun the benchmarks if I change something in the code in the book, something drastic. Uh, So, yeah, the benchmarking is weird because it takes a long time to measure uh, to plot these curves uh, but uh, there is always something that is surprising about them and that is usually an opportunity for you to learn something new about computers that you haven't realized before Uh, sometimes it's something new in the swift language sometimes it's something new in the standard library sometimes it's something new with the hardware and that is just fascinating
0: so um, I feel like there's so much more we could talk about, but we're already well over. How are you doing on time? Are you okay to chat for just a little bit longer? Or? Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, again, there's so much more we could talk about. You have all these other cool repositories, but we're not going to get into it. I mean, you know, GlueKit, that sounds really interesting. TypeSafe, oh, yeah. observable values. That's um, my zip. favorite
1: repository. Yeah. Why is it your favorite? Uh, it has so much potential, and uh, I spent so little time uh, working on it, and uh, I really want to get into that, that area.
0: Uh, you know, maybe I've, I have a question. Um, Swift 4, they announced uh, some new features to Key Value Observing. Uh-huh. What, does that relate at all to like how you implemented GlueKit? Kit? Like, to me, when I was watching that announcement, it made me feel like Apple realized people like doing this kind of reactive style programming and you can kind of do it in in Swift. I mean, in all of the reactive style all the reactive uh, frameworks for the most part are built on key value observing, is uh, my understanding. Yes. What did that little bit of an like what was that bit of announcement and like what did that mean for so like reactive I, programming? I don't think in Swift?
1: Apple had to realize that because Apple knew and Apple pioneered this sort of stuff with key value observing itself. Oh, key value okay. observing. Is a really really fascinating uh, feature in Foundation. Uh, it is such a an important subsystem. Uh, it's, it's under a lot of Cocoa frameworks, and it, at its heart, at its heart, it is it is uh, it implements everything that makes reactive programming tick. Uh, it is a reactive framework hidden inside uh, Foundation, and it's been there for ten years. and it includes uh, observable transformations the sort of thing that my gluekit repository is all about but written 10 years ago for Objective-C and uh, you know you can observe the minimum value of an array of integers uh, directly by by observable transformations in this really fascinating uh, little uh, query language that they uh, created Uh, I mean, it implements everything you need for reactive programming. No wonder that it is so easy to to write your own reactive framework for. You like it. The basics are already there. You just have to fill in the blanks and maybe make it a little bit easier to use uh, than, uh, especially with Swift and uh, with uh, Objective C. Um, the new KVO stuff. Uh, I think that's just uh, the reasonable follow up to make KVO. KVC more accessible to Swift developers and fit better in the language because the original implementation was all stringly typed so you have to work with strings everywhere you build everything up from uh, strings and uh, it's untyped or at least you don't specify the type you just assume that what you get is uh, fits what you uh, actually wanted to uh, uh, get and that is not the case with the new uh, KVC stuff Uh, it is so exciting to get uh, syntactical support built directly into the language uh, and uh, i'm really excited to see where it goes because obviously uh, i i think the foundation team is working on a follow up to make this more integrated in, into the existing feature set that they have and uh, this is this opens up so many new opportunities for swift language to fit Uh, the modern way of doing reactive programming better. And uh, I don't think any language really did that sort of thing yet, Uh, at least not any of the mainstream languages. So it's just exciting to see happen. Right on.
0: Okay, so uh, the the other things, I mean, you have this SIP hash thing, simple and secure hashing in Swift. Sounds really uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, guys, feel free to to go and check out... um, uh, Karoy's um, uh, GitHub repository, uh, you know GitHub. He has all these cool repositories. Um, even I see this Swift ProtoBuf. You forked it. I'm really interested in seeing like what happens with that. You know JSON's awesome, but um, this is going to be interesting to see this ProtoBuf thing, um, you know, move forward. And I also see you forked uh, the Swift uh, programming language, the main Swift repo. Mm-hmm. Have you contributed at all to to that
1: repo? Yeah, I, I made a couple of PRs. Uh, I have to. Uh a PR that I just opened uh, but uh, the big integer support the new integer protocols are only partially implemented right now Uh, so I I made some improvements there we will see because uh, to make it complete uh, we need more uh, support in the compiler uh, for this sort of protocol uh, features that uh, that this uh, new uh, integer uh, protocols uh, are, are trying to use, uh, but uh, maybe we will uh, be successful, uh, if, if I can put it through that would be awesome, uh, and it directly affects my big integer uh, package, uh, so I ran into some difficulties when, when I tried to upgrade my BigInt library to Swift 4, and this PR is just a follow up for that. It's always okay. exciting. You know, uh, I think the standard library is probably the natural next step for me because the things I tend to do uh, have some applications in, inside the standard library themselves. I always wanted to look d- deeper into it, but I try to keep my distance because the standard library is uh, has access to features and functionalities that are not available outside of it. And it defines APIs that, you are able to use if you really want but you aren't supposed to uh, so if you get too close to it and you learn too much about it there will be this temptation to use this forbidden stuff <laughs> and uh that is a dangerous thing to to be uh, in a, a position like that so I, I try to keep my distance I, I, I do read the standard library source code but I don't typically modify it or, or look at it too closely because I know that it would just suck me in and then I would do full-time standard library stuff which is not to say that that's a bad thing but you know, I try to play around with the external packages for, for now <laughs>
0: Right on. Okay. So the last thing um, I want to talk about was um, your experience filming the Swift Talk um, episode. You filmed two episodes. I saw the, um, the Sorted Array one, and that was with uh, Chris Eidhoff. The, bi- uh, the Bee Tree is with Florian. Um, can you just tell us about um, that experience? Like, what's that like? Um, you know, we've had Chris on the show, I've met him in person, he's awesome. Uh, I just love what they're doing. Um, Yeah, so just tell us, like, how did that happen? Where were you guys? And what was the experience like?
1: Yeah, so Chris and Florian, I I think, nicest people ever. I I met Chris a couple of years ago at a local meetup, and uh, we hit it off. We we had a couple of nice discussions. Uh, Last year, I visited Berlin, and I had an afternoon with him, and we just talked about stuff. Uh, And then uh, they decided to publish my book, which was uh, shocking to me, I, I didn't expect uh, people to uh, to uh, think that this particular topic is interesting to others, uh, I hope so but I, I didn't expect to do that so we got talking and it seemed reasonable uh, for me, uh, a reasonable idea for me to, to get involved in in Swift Talk as well uh, I think, so I've been a subscriber for a while but I uh, when we decided to, to shoot more, I, I tried to look up my, my uh, subscription and I didn't find it, which <laughs> is weird. So I had to resubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are such pros and uh, they ran this really nice studio uh, in, in, in the heart of Berlin in a really oh, nice cool. place. And they only use it to shoot these videos and uh, they go there every two weeks or so. And they have the equipment set up. And uh, it's just a fascinating process. Uh, what we did was we sat down uh, in the morning. We tried to draft what, what the videos were supposed to be about. We, we brought some of the source code that we were going to do together. And then we just saw, shot the things. And uh, yeah, that was it. And uh, it was so fun uh, because you get, you get to work with these people who are so amazing at what they do. And uh, also exciting because I never uh, participated in any, any sort of uh, recording before. Well, apart from conferences, but that's not the same thing as a, as a stage uh, recorded uh, uh, little uh, pair programming session. And the topics we talked about were really fascinating as well. I mean, uh, they tied directly into the book in some way, but they are uh, following up from previous episodes so that was interesting to see their perspectives on the stuff that I I am doing and uh, yeah it was it was just an amazing time
0: that's great yeah for some reason I thought that um they were like filming in their house but I think that's because like their original videos they would film like in their house and I think one of them they were even outdoors I oh yeah know.
1: yeah they they did a number of outdoor uh, times and type <laughs> things uh, those are only fun. Uh, and when, when well, you see them programming in weird places and talking about coding in, in 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 nice areas around berlin
0: well thank you for sharing that and also doing the video um the you know the episode you did a great job i really enjoyed it. i just watched it this morning and it's really um really enlightening and, and it's always fun to to watch chris and florian um you know pair program and so it's cool to get you know to see you in, uh, in there and you know they did some ep- other episodes with um Brandon Williams, and Lisa Lau, I believe, her last right. I don't know. Yeah. So that was cool to kind of like see like the mix, you know, getting it, you know, mixing it up, you know, so it's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are well over, uh, you know, the hour mark, but I just, you know, had a lot of fun chatting with you, and there's just so much um, to chat about. So before we end, I just figured, um, is, is there anything else you want to chat about or any, any thoughts, uh, anything you want to tell the community, uh, anything
1: like that? So the... Most important thing I think you could do uh, is and the most advantageous uh, to you uh, if you are just starting out uh, programming is to, to attend meetups and uh, to speak with people. Find somebody who's at the same level as you are uh, talk with them and try to share what you know, what you learned, uh, what you are having problems with. And, uh, you know, a study body is always, uh, it makes things so much easier if you have somebody to, to bounce ideas off or to share your problems with. Uh, yeah, and meetups are, are, are an ideal place for finding people like that.
0: Yeah, totally. Okay, so, wow, oh, that was fun. Okay, let's, uh, let's wrap things up. So before we go, let's do a quick little rapid fire section. Uh, what would you say drives you?
1: uh so uh, i i think i get the best feeling if people use my stuff uh, mm, i yeah. i always get so high uh, if i can say that whenever yeah. i i discovered that somebody's using my my code in in, uh, in any app and uh, it's such a boost to your productivity that you know that uh, you know that people are actually liking what you are doing and and they find it useful uh yeah, so I, I think just the fact that I help people in some small way uh, is what drives me the best. And also just the matter of learning, even if nobody has used my uh, things, I would still keep doing it uh, because I, I really like the the process of learning new stuff. And if, if I spend a day without uh, learning something new, I, I am really, that, that day feels like a wasted opportunity to me. Yeah, right on. Uh, what do you do when you're not programming? Ah, uh, so I got really into calligraphy last year. Uh, I started working on a calligraphy app for the iPad with Apple Pencil, and oh, wow. uh, but I, I I pivoted to actual real life calligraphy right now. Uh, I use deep pens and the fountain pens, and uh, I got it's such a relaxing thing to to do if at the end of the day. I just turn on the TV, do something, uh, watch some watch something on Netflix, and I just uh, scribble on a notepad, uh, and uh, uh, it's just a fascinating, interesting thing. Uh, it, it is uh, hard because you have to write, uh, have to learn to write all over again from basic principles, but it turns out that it is kind of easy to do that. I'm not very good at uh, the actual fancy calligraphy stuff, but I am really enthusiastic about it, and uh, I am slowly improving. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. right on. And it's so so great to see that you are—you have created something nice-looking, even uh, as as a way of relaxing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, desktop or laptop?
1: Laptops for me. I, I really value the mobility of it, uh, especially in the summer because I don't have air conditioning. So I just I can just take my laptop and go to a coffee shop and do my work there with with air conditioner. And I I just like to work in weird, weird places. Uh, I, I sometimes go outside and and just sit down in a park below a, a, a tree and, and and do my work uh, right there. Uh,
0: yeah, I can see it now. <laughs> uh, s- <laughs> standing or sitting?
1: Uh, both. Uh, I have a adjustable uh, little tray uh, for my laptop, and whenever I feel like it, I stand up and, and work like that. Uh, Git from the command line or from a GUI? Well, if it's Git, then it's GUI all the way. I, I don't like the command line interface for Git. For other revision control systems, I, I prefer the command line, but maybe I'm just getting too old for... Uh, learning all the uh, little toggles and options. (laughs) Uh, Vim or Emacs? Emacs, all the way. Uh, (laughs) I used to contribute to Emacs a lot. Uh, I've wrote the uh, subsystem that that implements uh, multiple displays uh, at the same time for Emacs. So now you can run Emacs in the background and connect to it whenever you want to without losing uh, state uh, inside your editor. Yeah, so I'm hugely into Emacs. I don't use it as much uh, as I used to. Uh, Today, if I want to edit something, I usually just fire up TextMate or Xcode. But sometimes I I, I still go back to their roots and and use Emacs uh, for the particularly important things.
0: Uh, You just made me realize um, I I found out about this thing called MacDown. It's a native MarkDown editor. Hmm. Uh, Have you heard of it?
1: No, not yet. What
0: do you use for um, editing and viewing Markdown?
1: Uh, I just use TextMate. I, I'm not okay. very particular about my editors, not anymore. Uh, I Yeah, yeah. I, I find TextMate is, is a nice fit for me. I, I, I don't use it on a professional level. I just type into it and see what happens. I don't use any of the bundles, or maybe I do. Yeah, yeah for Markdown, definitely, but I don't use any of the functionality beyond the syntax highlighting. Does
0: TextMate have like a a renderer, like where you can see it fully rendered?
1: I'm pretty sure it does, but I just never use it, so I don't know. Okay. Uh, Tabs or spaces? Spaces. Definitely spaces. (laughs) Well, actually neither. I would prefer if we weren't using uh, text files as our source code because it's just pointless to argue about this sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> and even the placement of the curly braces and all, all these C-derived languages—that's that's just silly. I mean, it's 2017. We should <laughs> we should be editing the abstract syntax tree directly instead of some sort of projection. Of
0: Interesting. Can you talk about that? Like, what do you what do you mean by that? Like, if we weren't writing text files as our source code, what would we be doing?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, I, I spent about four and a half years doing trying to build a development environment that is not based around text files. Uh, I worked for uh, Charles Simoni. Uh, he's a ex-Microsoft guy. Uh, he, he originally worked at, well, a number of places, but he's most famous for uh, his work at Xerox, Uh, on the bravo system he invented what you see is what you get uh, the word processing uh, paradigm and then he went on to uh, implement word and excel for microsoft Uh, so he he, he's been there he was the i think the technical lead uh, for that entire uh, department for quite a while and then he left to revolutionize programming the same way he did for word processing and uh, I joined that uh, project for for four years, and we were working on an editing environment that uh, where the original source is not stored in some text file somewhere, but uh, we worked directly on the structure instead and we could just total some uh, options and we would switch the uh, uh, source code from a textual representation to some sort of graphical representation like uh, you know, a flowchart or uh, anything like that and it was fascinating the problems we had to solve were kind of numerous and, uh, and hard and difficult but i think we solved them pretty much all of them the last remaining problem we had was that if you aren't editing a text file then you aren't editing a text file so you your editor works uh, in a completely different way than every other uh, coding environment uh, people have uh, ever used so it was a difficult sell it was difficult, I, I think, to convince people to start using it and to really enjoy it. Uh, and coming up with a user interface uh, for it, um, it was a kind of a difficult problem. I, I don't know if we cracked it, but at the end, I was really proficient at using it. And I, I think I preferred using it to uh, uh, our uh, original source code, which was written in C-sharp. Um, Is it available? No, no, it was it was kind of a half-secret project for a while. We we did all these really awesome presentations in various conferences and demonstrations of the project, um, but the company turned back into secret mode after I left. Uh, they have just been purchased by Microsoft a couple of months ago, so they are doing something right. Uh, I don't know what exactly. I'm really excited to find out what went uh, went well. One thing I noticed is that. Uh, everybody talks about doing development on the iPad, right? But mm. text editing on the iPad, I don't think you can make that work, uh, at least not to, to the level as uh, you can do with a mi- mouse and keyboard. Right. Uh, so, But the thing we were working on, this sort of projectional editor where you could project your code in whatever uh, notation and representation you liked uh, would Probably a better fit on touch devices rather than uh, keyboards and mouse. That's interesting. So, do you? It sounds like
0: you look forward to a future where something like this is at least an option. Do you think it's? Oh, yeah. um, do you think it's uh, a certainty that it will at least become an option
1: at some point soon? Yes, definitely. I, I think somebody will do it in the next decade or two. Uh, I don't know who will who it will be. Uh, I, I think the iPad is quite capable as a developing device already uh, so if I started all over, I, if I would be a 7 year old child today I would probably prefer to learn uh, programming on my iPad rather than uh, some old-fashioned computer and uh, once you have people learning programming on a device no matter how difficult it is to program for that device they will prefer that to anything else that you might give them so the next generation will definitely uh, write programs on, on touch devices rather than uh, conventional uh, laptops or desktop computers. They wouldn't even prefer necessarily know what they are. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I look forward to it. Really, and I hope really to contribute to, to making that happen.
0: Yeah, really interesting. I was actually um, typing, um, I was coding last night with an iPad, an iPad Pro uh, 10.5 inch mm-hmm. and the smart keyboard. And it was fun. Um, a lot of the same shortcuts and things, you know, the workflow is similar. It was still different, but I I could see, you know, just do, you know having fun and you know doing, you know, just some normal like explore, experimenting with ideas and things like that. I could definitely see myself doing that. And I agree with what you said in terms of um, the new you know young kids learning to program on an iPad. It'll just be second nature. Is this is this um, an idea that you are passionate about that you could see yourself working on and like pushing, pushing? Yeah,
1: you know? yeah. I, I keep thinking about it. But, you know, as long as I'm working on my own, uh, this is a project and that takes a number of years to finish. Right. Big undertaking. Uh, I don't think you can do it alone. Uh, you right. have to find uh, like-minded people to, to start working on that sort of thing. Really and interesting. That, uh, the Swift Playground app actually is a really good first step for it. Uh, it, it has some of the ideas, uh, it got some of the ideas right. Uh, you, you can edit the structure, some of the structure directly, but it's still a text file down right. at the end.
0: Really interesting. Um, uh, and uh, what what occurred to me the other day was like, swift playgrounds um the you know the playgrounds app for the ipad it has foundation it has ui kit it has core graphics it's crazy like you can just import those libraries and all of a sudden you have you know almost like the same development environment you know like in terms of the tools it's really amazing
1: the Um, ipad today with no extra functionality as is uh, right now is a much better uh, development device than my commodore 64 was uh, 25 (laughs) years ago so yeah um, how would
0: um, like source control work with this projection? Like, would there still be text files underneath, and so Git, and or would we have to invent well, some new source control? Yeah,
1: or? you could export it as a text file, but uh, to make it work right, uh, you would have to write your own uh, source control and merging and then diffing, and that needs to be done uh, custom made, because everything today is based around text files and right. uh, even, even with Xcode, if you are merging uh, a, a interface builder uh, file or a uh, core data uh, model, uh, that can be painful because you aren't used to seeing the underlying uh, text representation. Right, uh, You have to see the original representation that you, you are uh, otherwise working with to make sense of the merge uh, problems.
0: Yeah, interesting, very interesting. Wow, okay, uh, tests or no tests? Tests
1: always tests. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was watching um, the video this morning and you were you know showing about you know, basically talking about testing and uh, you know testing your code and testing the performance of your code. It's really interesting. I haven't done that yet. Um, so it's cool to see you do that. Uh, okay, let's hop over to Twitter and take a look at your Twitter profile. Um, I really, really like your. Twitter profile. It's it's really uh, cool. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. So, um, author of optimizing collections in Swift. We know that. Um, yeah. Why in quotes? Widely known to be just good. Trademarked. <laughs> um, I guess it's trademarked by Christian. How do you say his last name?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Who?
0: How did this? Uh, what is this?
1: Yeah, he just at, at, at me, uh, he just reacted to some some one of my tweets. I, I don't remember what I wrote exactly, but it's nice, uh, you know. It was just feedback that I promoted to my profile because it was so, <laughs> such a nice thing to say.
0: That's good. And then I'm looking at your profile picture. It's like this uh, bearing and a gear.
1: Mm-hmm. What's th- So it is actually a freewheel, if that is the thing. Yes, I, I think oh, so. Oh, right, like a bicycle. Yeah, yeah, for a Sinclair A-bike, which was this uh, really tiny uh, collapsible uh, bicycle. I used it to to just bike around uh, in the university campus a-, a lot, and then I used it to get to work. It's like a clown bike because it's so tiny. Uh, the, the, uh, the wheels of it were, I think they were uh, uh, maybe 5 inches, 6 inches wide, and uh, yeah. It was a fascinating little device. I had to keep purchasing a new one every six months because I, I just broke it, I, I, I used it <laughs> so often. Yeah, I, I really liked it. So it's, it's something that that uh, I was really into for a while. So it, it has uh, a significance to me and it just looks great, uh, this part.
0: <laughs> and then your banner is uh, looks like a MacBook Pro with, I'm assuming floppy is like coding or something uh, yeah
1: well uh, she took an app on my macbook one day and
0: that. <laughs> oh man and uh so you have a pinned tweet obviously uh, you know take a look at your book um let's see what's this uh, uh let's see next friday Q&A, I got to see this one live coco conf next door hmm. so you it looks like you went to like a conference or, or a meetup or something
1: oh yeah so i didn't get a WDC ticket this year uh, but I went to Goku Conf instead and I had a blast there, uh, there were so many interesting people uh, doing presentations, I got to see Mike Ash doing a live uh, talk uh, that turned into a new uh, 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 Friday Q&A uh, blog entry uh, uh, last week. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, that was during DubDub.
0: Okay, Cool. Oh, all right, Karoy, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Um, I mean, wow, you know, uh, growing up in Budapest, uh, you went to this conference early on, and you fell in love with computers and programming, and you'd go to the library because you didn't have a computer, and you'd study, and eventually you got a computer, and you would just, you know read as much as you can um, about programming and eventually, you know, you read every book you can find in uh, Hungarian, I assume. Yeah and, yeah, and then that led you to need, to want to learn English so you could read more books about uh, programming and, and, and your interest. So you, you know, instead of going to the gymnasium, you went to this technical school where you got to learn English and then you ended up going to this university that you had decided you wanted to go to when you were 10 years old. Right. And, um, it you know, over time, you didn't really enjoy it as much. Uh, and, you know, you, you, your credits went down as time went on. But you were continuing your studies and your interest outside of school. And that's where you found a lot of your, you know, your joy and your passion. And. It, Eventually, you know, you started working. I think you said as a database administrator or as an administrator. Informations. Oh, administrator?
1: Uh, I was a systems administrator. I, systems I maintained uh, Unix systems and and introduced uh, public services uh, to our infrastructure. That was fun. And then
0: uh, but you didn't have a Mac. you were not using hmm. a Mac and uh, you uh, at some point you wanted, you know, you realized, oh, you got an iPod actually. yep. And you felt you know you fell in love that. That's actually how I got into Apple and stuff was through the iPod too. Hmm. So you you know, you got into Apple through the iPod and you got a Mac and you started doing Mac programming uh, kind of on the side. And then um, you were also doing, like, uh, Palm development for, like, the Trio. Mm, before um, the iPhone came out, yeah. Yeah, and then the iPhone comes out, and you're like, okay, this is this is a really a thing. I need to pay attention to this. But you continued doing Mac development because it was more sort of solidified. It was more stable. Um, and you were working at Join Me for a really long time. And then Swift comes out, and you fall in love with Swift, and you take this, uh, you know, two-year... Uh, ad- adventure of exploring Swift, uh, which leads to um, this really interesting, you know, uh, tunnel, uh, tunnel vision on you know, data structures with Swift mm-hmm. and what's missing. Um, and you, you kind of create, um, you filled in this void, uh, which leads to you know these different repositories that you have on your on your, your GitHub and you know add a bench to test you know, that what you're doing is like, you know, is, is, is good, you know, or, you know, testing the performance of it. And then you write this book and, uh, you know, and you're on Swift Talk and, uh, you know, we met at DubDub, Dub, now you're here. And yeah, so thank you so much for sharing that story with us. Um, yeah, thank you.
1: This has been a great fun. Thank you, thank you for inviting
0: me. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.